everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by Lucas Lajos, Ken Lavin, and Thomas Henderson, the usual gang. So how's everybody doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. good. Not sick yet. Always good. All right, so our podcast comes out every Monday, and this Monday just happens to be April 20th. And being the fourth month of the year, that makes it 420. Mm -hmm. I believe that has some sort of drug connotations. (laughs) Perhaps. Mm. I wouldn't know. No, of course not. For me, it's the the boat I used to sail in high school was called a 420. It's probably not good. I wouldn't be confident on that. See, it's 400 because I believe it's like 420 some units of length in length. But yeah, uh, like yeah, I was sailing my 420 all summer. You were what? <laughs> I didn't own my own. They were too expensive. But yes. All right. So, um, who are we going to promote, extend, or trade of these pitchers that have rightly or wrongly, true or false, I don't know nothing, some kind of association with drugs? Oh boy. So first we have Bartolo Colon, who was supposedly doing steroids. Next, we have Tim Lincecum, who was supposedly a fan of marijuana. And last, we have Doc Gooden, who enjoyed the white powdery cocaine. Oh, no. Uh... I'm going to trade Doc, personally. See what are we what are we basing this on? Their baseball skill or our concerns for their care. general well being? <laughs> I don't know. They're all three of them in the system, so we gotta figure this out. Is Doc trying to compare Doc's peak to Lincecum's peak? Because both of them had some pretty nutty years. Yeah, Cologne is like the safe one because he was good for a really long time. Like he was never elite, but he was always good. Man, Lincecum really – I thought Lincecum was better for longer. He really only had those two stupid good years, and then he was just okay for the rest of the – Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. I feel like he was good forever, like it, during the time. So he was he was a rookie in 2007 and was pretty good, and then he went nuts in 2008 and 2009, and then he was just okay again for a couple of years, and then his back gave out, I guess. So. Familiar story. Meanwhile, Doc is like god tier for two seasons. Scuffles a little bit. Another really good season. Extend Doc, promote Lincecum, and trade Cologne. Fair. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, I think I'm okay with that. Poor Bartolo. <laughs> Poor Bartolo. He gets Poor Bay. He, he, he gets the longest tenure out of all of them and subsequently gets traded. Doc ever hit a home run? I think he was a pretty good hitter from what my dad told me. But He hit but, eight home runs. Yeah. There you go. Bartolo hit one. Yeah, but... <laughs> Can that confirm. It was a tank, though. He also hit it off James Shields when James Shields was giving up dingers to, like, the Bat Boys. <laughs> I 
assume he's not pitching anymore. Is he still pitching Fields? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, no one's pitching now, but... I don't think he was signed this offseason. Mm. I don't even know if he pitched last season. I think he's been out of baseball for a little bit. Don't worry, though. The White Sox traded Fernando Tatis Jr. for him. Yeah, that worked out. The last year he played was 2018. Mm. Yeah, so he didn't play last year. All right. Um, so we talked about it last week. Um, coronavirus basically has put a damper on all baseball activities here. Spring training was stopped prematurely. Actual MLB season is postponed. Who knows how long? Minor league season has been postponed till you know, who knows? NCAA shut down all their baseball seasons after like two or three weeks. High schools, if they were actually able to start playing, they stopped after, you know, same thing, a few weeks at most. And basically everything grounded to a stop. And um, I think in terms of discussion, that kind of affects us like a ton, probably more than any of their, you know, any of the other people on the site. Because we're not doing just like, what did the Mets do XYZ, and this is what we think about it, but we have to, like, write and report on games and give opinions, but also follow and chart progression of players, the steps that they take forward, the steps they take back, blah, 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 so on. And not having a season means that we can't do that because it's not happening. And mm. obviously, you know, professional scouts, the, the people that do it for real, not just us bumbling idiots, the same thing is happening with them. <laughs> You know, professional scouting is grounded to a halt because it's nothing to scout um, professionally. But one aspect of that whole big package that isn't really affected is the international aspect of it. Um, the data is a little old that I have here. It's from 2018. But 27% of all players that were in the majors that year were foreign-born players. Minor leagues, obviously, there's a lot more players and it's going to be that much more diverse. Um, Dominican Republic, Mexico, Venezuela, they're the main ones. Puerto Rico would be too if it was a separate country. Um, and then there's also smattering of players from other countries, you know, Nicaragua, Panama, Bahamas, Curacao, Brazil, a few others. Japan, Korea, and Cuba too, but they have different rules, so I'm not even going to really bring them up. But the reason why the international aspect of scouting, signing players um, isn't really affected that much is because, by and large, all these agreements have already been made with these players. Steve, Steve, we're not supposed to say that. It's a secret. <laughs> oh, shoot. We didn't, we didn't talk to any of them until they were 16, Steve. Excuse me. Why are you telling everyone? Oh, well, then it's a good thing nobody listens to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna get a, a what the hell was his name? Copalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalopalop
and yeah, the the July second date is just kind of a uh, a formality, really. But the biggest problem though is that with the way things work with there is that the the players have no power. The teams have all the power. The teams could basically tell a player they're changing their mind the last second and dropping them, and the kid is is screwed, um, which is not good because never side with the billionaires. And another problem is that the teams are basically recruiting, you know, 12, 13-year-old kids, whatever. And what is your guys' opinion on that? Because it's kind of, I don't know, not a mixed bag. Um, but, I mean, me personally, like, I don't know. What is the difference between watching a kid that's 13 and watching a kid that's 16? You're a minor, so... I mean, I think we can break it down into what do you actually get out of this from a baseball perspective and what about the actual ethics of it? Well, the actual ethics of it. I mean, really, what happens from a baseball perspective, we know a 13-year-old kid is very different from a 16-year-old kid. Yeah, I I don't understand how they scout 13-year-old kids. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what you – how you even see what's going to happen in 10 years – with the 13 year you know like ludicrous mm-hmm. <laughs> um but a lot of uh, the moral aspect of it is people that disagree with the watching watching a kid who's you know 12 13 whatever and basically entering them into these informal agreements and uh, i mean you see it uh, with nba with ncaa basketball too sometimes where like Middle school kids will be like, yeah, Duke contacted me. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. And and it's just, you'll see stories like that, and it's like, I don't know. One, even if you're looking at it, you're taking the ethics out of it, which you shouldn't. And you're saying, let's project this future, this preteen kid's future in a sport. It's nearly impossible. But then when you look at it from the ethics perspective, it's like, this kid can't really, he's not equipped to make these decisions that you're putting him into. And you don't know if his parents have, his or her parents have their best interests at heart. Maybe they, the parents just see it as a money thing and they're like, hell yeah, do this. Or maybe they, their parents do have their best interests at heart and they actually help, but you don't know that either. And it's, no one knows that except the parents and the kids. So it's, that's really where it is for me. It's just like, Gross. I the, uh, I totally agree that the ethics are all screwed up. Same. I, I don't. Uh, no, and I'm not. I'm not. This is not me making a defense of the current system. Just admitting my own uh, lack of expertise. I don't know how you design a better system. But this yeah, is I don't want to draft either. <laughs> yeah, I mean that has issues too. Because mm. drafts are bad. I think even for college level kids, just let them sign wherever. And- figure it out i think i'm more amenable to the idea of a draft but there's so many other factors to to consider before you even get to that point the part that always bugs me the most is that a lot of these kids are just first of all they're coming from an impoverished country in the first place so their education was going to be lacking uh, from from the start most likely but i I feel like in a lot of these cases they they then wind up totally punting any sort of schooling past the age of 13 just to play baseball yeah. yeah, I can I can think off the top of my head of a singular player that education is actually important for them or their family, 
and that led to ramifications, you know, with baseball, Ubaldo Jimenez. Yeah. And like, and like, it's great. It's great that, that, ba- that baseball can, or professional sports in general can be this, like, almost magical, uh, 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 event for some of these kids and families that, that can really change the course of their lives and their parents' lives. Like, that, that's great and all. But, but you also have to consider the fact that for most of these kids, this isn't gonna pan out. Yeah. And, and the fact that they're gonna devote their entire life to this at the age of, 13 and then maybe they get a one-time signing bonus that's a couple hundred thousand for most of them maybe less uh and and then in all likelihood 10 years later be done with no skills to fall back on that that's not a, a tenable system and i feel like if baseball wants to continue to to um I don't want to say harvest. That sounds rather harsh, but, but access this talent. Uh, it seems like they have an obligation to also think about the, the general well-being of these kids. And that, that would include like better education, better nutrition, all, all of these things that you think would be pretty, that we take for granted a lot of the time. At the end of the day, all of that entails spending money and they are averse to doing that. Mm-hmm. Once again, we could. Tell, I'm pretty sure we could do the math again and show that it's a non, a trivial investment for the team. I, I don't want to call it like 15 million dollars trivial. Like that, that's something. But it's it's relative to payroll and everything else, and and the potential return on the investment. Aside from the actual ethics of yeah, you should do this. Even if you took uh, again, yeah, I I don't have any financial information in front of me and that is not any that that's not a field that I really know anything about but even if you took something as basic as just running a school I imagine that running a school is not that expensive relative to everything else that these teams have for operational costs and if you had a school along with the Dominican complexes that the teams have how much more would that cost probably not that much and you would be doing a lot more to help these players in the long run mm-hmm. to provide like a quality education for like every player in your complex. Mm-hmm. You could probably do it for like 1.5 Alejandro Diaz contracts. Yeah. Like maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so for three, for a total of three Alejandro Diaz contracts, you could to- do all the changes to the minor leagues we've talked about previously and also help all these poor kids out in whatever countries you're looking at. Yep. You no, know, I think Major League Payroll will survive without three Alejandro Diaz contracts. <laughs> how, but, but how? Do, who do you think should take responsibility for this, right? Is this an MLB issue or a team issue? I because if teams – go ahead. I think it's an MLB issue because I, I, I don't I think, think you leaving teams up to their own devices, they won't do it or they won't do it correctly. And also, you're going to wind up with the same problem if it's a team issue, right? You're going to want to have academies that kids come into at 12 or 13, and teams are going to be recruiting kids at 12 and 13, just like they currently are. Yeah. If you make it an MLB issue and you're actually serious about enforcing rules and stuff, you could instri- you could put in pretty strict penalties on the teams who violate the rules, and then 
it'll stop them from actually doing it instead of just kind of letting like making it an open secret and no one does anything about it. But I don't know what could convince MLB to kind of it would just piss off their owners and I don't think they would do that unfortunately. I mean perhaps you could imagine a scenario where you have like I don't know two or three MLB run academies per nation or whatever, or, or however many is commensurate with the population, where you're going to educate the kids and also have them play baseball, and then that gives Major League teams a more controlled environment from which to sign them. Something yeah. along those lines. If you if you want to if you want to institute a sort of international draft, I feel like that would be a good way of going about doing it and ensuring that the players are properly protected, taking care of whatever. Is that anybody who is eligible has to sign up through kind of programs like this where the players will be educated properly, will be given nutritional assistance if they need, will be given, you know, housing if they need, whatever the case may be. And that way, baseball as a whole, whatever, you know, is looking out for them more than just here, here's a contract that we may or may not revoke in the future before it actually gets signed and... Have fun. I, I I could I could I think a draft would make sense in this context. Um, if you had those sort of academies. Look, I don't I don't think any of us would claim to be experts on how uh the the dark intricacies of how the international market works. Um, there are definitely other people out there with with more knowledge than us about this. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff going on in terms of international signing and just as kind of quick refresher or or primer for anyone that's not really familiar with on July 2nd, all these contracts get signed. Teams have a limited amount of money to spend on players. They can divvy it out however they want. They can say to themselves, we're not signing anybody and not sign anybody. Um, not a good move, but it is possible. Yeah. Um, in the draft, you know, in the domestic draft, there's obviously a correlation between the size of a bonus, um, and, and talent. When it comes to international signings, that isn't the case necessarily. Um, you'll have guys that don't get very large bonuses that go on to, to be very good players. Ronald Acuna. He got a $100,000 signing bonus, which is not that much um, for a player of his caliber or, or, or a player who became – a guy who became a player of his caliber. Uh, Jose Altuve, he got $15,000. That's like That's laughable. Yeah. Obviously, the Braves and the Astros, they got their, their money's worth. Um, and It's so funny you say that, right? How much did Kevin Maiton get? Like $5 million? That's yeah. uh, 1,000, 500 Jose Altuve's. <laughs> and, and last year, like nothing too. yeah, a few of them got very, I mean, it, it's a very regular thing because this is what happens when you are scouting and evaluating, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old kids. Yeah. You could, you could project them to do X, Y, Z, whatever, but some of them, they don't grow and become strong and there goes your investment. Some of them, you don't think that they were going to do something, and they do. And all of a sudden, you have this immensely talented player. Last year, Yankees and Oakland 
they spent $5 million on two individual players, Jason Dominguez and Robert Poisson. Um, and that's the highest bonuses ever for non-Cuban, non-Asian players. Obviously, we, we don't know if those guys are going to pan out um, because it, it takes a long time. The highest bonus that I, I found of a guy that really didn't work out at all was Jairo Barris, who was signed by the Rangers in, in 2012 for a $4.5 million um, signing bonus. $4.5 million in 2012 is probably more than the $5 million from last year that the Yankees and A's spent. But he basically didn't um, even really make it to AA. He's still in the system now. He got like 90 at-bats or something in AA. Weren't particularly great. But that just shows that, you know, uh, what looks like a sure bet is not necessarily a sure thing. I think the Mets have done pretty well for themselves over the last couple of years mm-hmm. in the international market. Um, I feel like always their, best pros- their best prospects are always international kids. Yeah, I mean, there are the, the top prospects. Just to keep shredding the upper minors. <laughs> yeah, that and they draft like shit. So yeah, the, like the combination of the two, I think. The high-profile signings have all kind of worked out. Ryan Mauricio, Andres Jimenez, Francisco Alvarez, they were all very big bonuses, and they've had good prospect careers so far. Alexander Ramirez, they signed him last year. He's another high-profile high signing, about $2 million. You know, hopefully he works out when baseball starts again. Uh, but the Mets have done a pretty good job of identifying and developing kind of that undervalued talent, too. Some more guys that were signed last year, but, you know, it's it's hard to get a gauge on them because there's very little playing time and data for them right now. There's Junior Tillian. He was signed for 185000 and Eric Santana was signed for 350000 And they both stood out in the tricky, the tricky League, which is like the informal complex league that newly signed kids play at before they can play in the DSL. Uh, Robert Dominguez, he was signed for 95000 uh, a lot of a lot of people out there are calling him one of the biggest steals in the class last year because, and technically it's still going on this year. It doesn't switch over until July 2nd. But a lot of them are saying he is one of the biggest steals because stuff-wise, age-wise, he, he stacks up very favorably to some of the best high school senior pitchers. So that's, you know, a steal for $95,000 to get someone like that. Mm. Um year before, they signed Araldo Catalina for $150, and he's a promising kid, you know, big fastball, good slider. He was traded for, you know, 31 innings of Wilmer Font, so good job there. Peak value. Mm-hmm. It's what 2017, they signed Junior Santos for 275000 I know Lucas is not really that high on him, but there's mm-hmm. potential there. Absolutely. Um, 2016, they signed Luis Santana for 200000 He got traded. He didn't have the best year with the Astros, but he was also hurt and pushed really aggressively. Uh, Dyson Acosta was signed for 70000 Um Michael Otanez, he's not really that good, but he does have like a high 90s fastball. He was signed for 35000 Shervian Newton, he was signed for 50000 A lot of guys were more properly evaluated, I think, here. Mm. Um, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, because, again, who knows how these things really, no one knows how these things work out, but 
the Mets are not really connected currently with any of the guys that are considered some of the best um, players out there in the market currently. The Oakland A's are connected to, excuse me, the Astros have uh, basically an agreement with the top player that's available right now, Pedro Leon. Um, Nationals, this is all based, of course, off of Baseball America's rankings, evaluations, and I think Baseball America does it better than anyone else out there. But the Astros are connected to some of the top guys, the Nationals, Cubs, Marlins, basically everybody. Um, I'm not going to say that, you know, every team is connected to a individual international free agent and a rookie. And it's, and it's like the draft where everybody gets one guy. That's not always the case. There are teams that have multiple, um, connections to multiple players, but it is unfortunate that the Mets are not tied to anybody. Yeah. Makes you wonder what they're up to. Yeah, probably sleep. nothing good. <laughs> Just sleep yeah. at the wheel, you know? That's what I'm assuming. I I wouldn't expect Brody to have a big uh, grasp on this, which is a problem. Well, you never has, know. He has 500 other GMs, who, so maybe one of them does, but I mean, Omar's still there. But, oh, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that one of the big reasons why he came back? Like, he pushed, like, the international market? Yeah, he had connections. He generally was seen as a guy that was good at identifying talent. Although I, I have some doubts about that. And I feel that Omar really just kind of did what everybody else did. And the media just kind of gives him the, the credit because he's the New York GM, you know. That's fair. But at the same time, the whole international free agent market is just this one big web of connections and who you know and who's on the on the up and up and who's crooked and it's just there's a lot going on. So I mean, it very it, it could be very possible that Omar, you know, does know a guy that knows a guy that knows a guy that kind of thing. And I also wouldn't be surprised if like most front offices have that type of connection. At this point, yeah. Like I'm, I'm not sure that that's the advantage that people give it credit for. At this, it's so late in the game. It's so like everyone has been doing this for so long that it's hard for me to comprehend a team not really caring about it at this point. Like, are you saying that um, every team has the content to create a crimes.xls? Oh no, (laughs) spreadsheet. Probably. No, wait, wasn't it a Google Sheet? This is not an XLS. It's a, no, I, I think it was Excel. It was Excel? I thought yeah. they had, like, a Google Drive with a fucking crime <laughs> spreadsheet. The, the, the new one is going to be them talking about it on Zoom and MLB. Yes. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> MLB hacking their Zoom. And It's going to be some random guys a- accidentally Zoom bombing the Dodgers <laughs> front <laughs> office. That's like, wait a sec. <laughs> huh. I could see that happening. Where's AJ Preller at these days? He's with the Padres, right? Yep. He probably mm-hmm. has his own crimes XLS going, you know. He always struck me as too paranoid for that. Yeah, he, he I can't imagine a, he, he has a he has a particularly long trail of evidence. 
He was the guy, the first one to get busted for the international uh, uh, signings way right back when he was with the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not nearly as bad as the Braves, but but he did they, he did get in trouble. Yeah, the Braves are really the like the quote unquote example that baseball tried to set. Mm-hmm. I'm almost certain it won't work, but no, no. Any kind of sanctions, any issues that teams will be given, there's there's plenty of money to make up for it. So the crazy thing is, I don't even know they lost anyone of significance in that whole. In, in well, any of their... um, they they were forbidden from signing Poisson, who mm-hmm. just signed with the Athletics for five million. That that's true. But I mean, like in terms of who they had already signed, given given that my town is kind of. Flamed out. They've basically lost nothing. Right. I mean, they can they can take these sanctions on the players that they've lost, wait a year or two, and then just go crazy in the market. Yeah. If they feel like it. Not a great system. Suboptimal. Yeah. But unfortunately, like we were saying, fixing it is opening up a whole new can of worms. Mm-hmm. I mostly don't know how you would get the teams to listen to you, even if you try, which is a depressing thought. Like a harsher penalties. Like a, it's kind of being very cynical, but yeah, harsher penalties, sure. But I'm just worried that teams will be like, "Ah, screw it, we'll do it anyway." Yeah. At the end of the day, the the issue, I I think, a lot of issues um, kind of trace back to just the commissioner of baseball being another. One of the old boys club, you know, former owner or whatever, friends of former owners, for there to actually be any kind of meaningful change that's positive, that's good for the players and the teams and MLB as a whole, you really need to have an independent commissioner with, you know, a strong, a strong hand. Well, if we had that, the Wilpons would have been forced to sell years ago. Yeah, exactly. Of the uh, bunch of guys that are considered, you know, some of the top uh, talents that are available right now, is there anybody that you kind of wish the Mets were really in on? Is anyone like really uh, excite you? I, I I try not to. I mean, maybe this is just me. I try not to get too hyped up about a couple paragraphs of description <laughs> for all these. It's like I'm pretty sure you could copy paste these paragraphs year after year and no one would notice. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea if any of these dudes are actually what these paragraphs are saying, and I'm not saying that the art the authors are lying. I'm just saying that it's hard to it's hard to get excited. I initially was gonna be like, you know, okay, let's just talk about a guy who seems cool, but exactly. It, it as I was reading all of these blurbs it just, you know, nobody, these guys are so young and so undeveloped and so raw that it's kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, 99.9% of everybody is a shortstop right now. 99.9% <laughs> of everybody, you know, they have good bat speed. 99.9% of everybody, they are, you know, 5, 10 to 6, 1, and, you know, 175 to, to 200. Room, room to add muscle. 
Yes, there's room to add muscles. We'll so. grow into power. Uh huh. <laughs> I mean, you know? all these kids are like that because they're all better than everyone else and they're playing. Right. right. Yes. You already have a talent pool of the best guys, so how they do when you throw them the biggest fish in the pond, in, in a small pond, into a bigger pond, like who knows? And it's hard to kind of get hyped about that. But there's one guy, and he's not technically, you know, he, he's not someone I technically was going to even bring up. Because, like I said earlier, guys from, you know, Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, Cuba, I'm not going to talk about. But Yelki Cespedes. Oh, no. I've seen Cespedes a decent amount of him over the years. Is, yeah. mm-hmm. is that how you pronounce his name? I believe so. Okay. I just want them to sign another Cespedes. Exactly. Keep them in the family. Yeah. You know? I'm, I'm all for it. I also imagine Ioannis will tell him uh, these guys do <laughs> not sign <laughs> Don't do this. That's it. I mean, you give them a million more than anyone else, and then that kind of smooths over a lot of those. Uh, yeah. His brother's ranch is already right there. <laughs> <laughs> it worked once. <laughs> let's just let's just get rid of the hog. Clear out the hogs on the ranch, and then that'll <laughs> prevent any future issues. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's been. Uh, deemed a eligible to sign. He's not going to until July 2nd of this year when the 2020 to 2021 period begins. Um, it'd be foolish for him to because most teams have already blown through their, uh, pools. But yeah, he's, he's probably the most exciting guy because A, he is talented and B, obviously he has name recognition, whereas all these other kids do not. He's also, uh, I mean, I would argue the Mets are in a, a mode where, uh, uh, more immediate talent is, is more interesting, uh, just yes. given where they are in a contention cycle and he's 22 while the rest of these guys are like 16. Yeah. He would instantly become their best outfield prospect. Mm-hmm. Right to AAA. Eh. <laughs> Based on organizational depth. Yeah. True. That is true. I mean, it's it, yeah. it, it's not out of the question that he could contribute in late 2021. Like that that there is a yeah. that that is not him. ludicrous. Yeah, that's fair. Um, which I, I don't know. I would I would be falling over myself to sign an older international player. I don't know why more teams aren't. I I, I definitely agree with you. Actually, mm-hmm. um, at the same time, I feel like that's just an area the Mets for years have, have just neglected. Back when things were much more open, they weren't really in on Puig or Cespedes or Solar or uh, Chapman. Like none of those older older signings were ever uh, – they never really got in on any of them or any of the Japanese guys really. Um, not that Otani was ever going to sign here, but um, – Hey, they made a PowerPoint or whatever the hell it was. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I remember Akino, we all got Akino. so excited. <laughs> and the last time they signed a, an older international guy was uh, Ishiguro in like 2010, or the other Japanese reliever, uh, Takahashi. Takahashi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He Can came up in that save. Andor Hasanori. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Um, Yoda Irigashi. He's actually Ch- is he's Chinese, right, or Taiwanese? Who? Iragashi? I'm 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 Japanese. He's Japanese as well. Okay, so mm-hmm. I'm just wrong. 
point is, the Mets just have ignored this for years. Yeah, I mean, the last uh, guy I can remember them signing from... I forgot his name. Kirsten Molina, who is a outfielder on the Columbia Fireflies last year. I think he might have made it to, to St. Lucie. He was signed out of Cuba. Mm-hmm. Uh, before him, there's... Uh, Leadner Ricardo, the catcher, who was with St. Lucie for like two or three years. You know, not not premium talent, obviously. Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder is- why they're so risk averse to go there. Was it just something with the money? Um, you know, and Sandy at the time, and now now Brody just being more cautious. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, I w- I will say like. At the peak, some of these contracts that were being handed out were ridiculous. Like, Rizny Gastillo got $85 million from the Red Sox or something ludicrous like that. That was just an arms yeah. race, though. That was yeah. like a loophole in the um, right, right. international signing rules. At, at some point, it did get a little – and yeah. it, it was after the premium talent was already already gone, mostly. Uh, who was the one the Diamondbacks signed? Lopez? Oh. Um, yeah, Yoan Lopez. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pitcher. They also signed the hitter too, the third baseman, Josmani Tomas. Yeah, that, that's yes. who I was actually thinking. And of. he was oh. like, yeah, he was a not bad. Yeah. Um, Arisbella Ruberena was uh, mm-hmm. the shortstop for the Dodgers. Uh, just never hit. So I think so at some point it's yeah. ludicrous. I mean, it's not not risky, even with the older players, mm-hmm. but. I don't know the Reds. I guess the I don't want to say the Red Sox aren't they're they're not hurting for money even though they traded Mookie Betts for free. But like, <laughs> um, like I'm sure the owners use that stuff as an excuse, and then here you are trading premium talent for no reason. So. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, basically anything that could be used to justify not spending will be used. Even spending, like past spending, which. Is yeah. But, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see in a couple of months what, what goes down, baseball or no baseball. And especially with um, – given the fact that, you know, there there's no college baseball, there's no high school baseball going on, the draft is going to be very weird this year. It'll be interesting to see how teams approach the international market because they have a lot more data, not necessarily more current data, but – It'll be interesting. I have no idea how you prepare for the draft now. I don't know. Because at least with other sports that are having drafts, like, they had a season already. Like, the NFL draft is going to be virtual, and that's fine, but, like, you have the season to have seen these players. But, like, you can't you're gonna make a decision on a kid after two weeks. Like, I don't know how you do that. And those drafts are easier in the first place, too. Yeah, exactly. the gap from amateur to pro is smaller. Uh, and you have college tape for everyone. Exactly. Um, I wonder if teams are going to players and having them work out with them and, and almost like uh, kind of combine kind of things that the NFL does. Have yeah. players throw bullpens with them, have players you know work That's out awesome. with them, and just we don't really see that side of things from, you know, as, as the members of the public. But. That's possible for sure. 
I, mean, I think that's the only way to do it because you'd need to get a good grasp of, of their stuff and, and their physicality and their ability to hit and, and whatever else. Hmm. Do you guys know that episode of South Park where they're uh, uh, dealing with the economic crisis um, and is it, one of them is trying to return to Margaritaville and he goes to the people who are trying to save the economy yeah. and yeah. literally cut off a chicken's head and let it run around the board to, and wherever it dies is what, is what they do. That's how the draft should happen this year. You just make a board with a bunch of names, you cut off a chicken's head, you throw it out there and all right, we're going that guy. Yeah, that might be how, <laughs> that might be how things are done this year. All right. Any, uh, last words for the week before we go? Yes, not. All right. <laughs> if anyone keeps any, social distancing. Yes. Uh, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can go ahead and send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at said Met Season SZN. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Please rate and review them. And of course, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. And until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets. Love the Mets.